we can't explain the type of love that you have for us and the depth of our understanding only goes so far and the Bible plays out the fact that we need help, that we need supernatural help even to understand the nature of your love and how high and how wide and how deep it is, a love that surpasses knowledge. And so I pray that you'd help us this morning as we gather to, in some small way, increase our awareness and our knowledge of, of your love for us, demonstrated most clearly to us in that while we were sinners that Christ died for us. A love that drives out fear because fear involves punishment. And because Jesus was punished in the place of his people, when we put our faith and our trust in him, all fear is extinguished. It's extinguished at the cross. And so I pray that you'd remind us of how much you love us this morning. And I pray that you'd increase our love for you as a result of having been together today. Thank you for your word, and I pray that you'd use it to shape us, to mold us, to convict us of sin, to make us more like Christ, to give us more joy, and to make us more usable in this world as long as you give us breath. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Matt Moorhead. I'm one of the pastors here. Such a joy to be with you again. You can grab your Bibles, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. A couple of quick things before we dive in. Um, we have spent the last few weeks doing a parenting series called Parental Guidance. Uh, a couple of quick notes as we finish that, uh, kind of turn out of it. We finished it last week. And so on our website, if you go to the resources tab, if you're looking for resources, if you've heard me talk about, hey, we're going to give you some resources, we've compiled some for you there. There's basically a list of books. One of them is actually a PDF download from J.C. Ryle. There's a list of books there that you can click on. Uh, it's not a link to like a free book, but it'll get you to the place where you can buy it. So, um, but you can go there, find those resources. In addition to that, when we initially talked about doing the parenting series, we were going to kind of couple it almost immediately with a parenting seminar outside of Sunday morning, just to be able to do some kind of more dialogue and dive into a little bit more nuance on parenting. And, and we are going to do that, but it's going to be later in September. So September 23rd, which is a Saturday for three hours from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., for those of you who are parents, or if you're interested in just learning more about parenting, we're going to have three hours that day here at the building in a parenting seminar. So Pastor Bill will kind of be giving like a main session. We'll have some panels, just some older and younger parents that you can ask questions to. We'll have three kind of small family talks kind of nestled in the middle of the time, addressing some topical needs for parents. So with that said, if you're interested in that, we'd love for you to sign up online. You can find it uh, in our events online, sign up. Uh, we're not having childcare here at the building for that. If it's difficult for you to find childcare for your kids and you want to come, then just email us at the admin email that's there, and we'll try to help you find somebody to watch your kiddos so you can come. All right, and with that said, we welcomed our newest baby into the family this morning. So, so Brad and Kayla Johnson, like as of like an hour ago, uh, welcomed their, their baby. So I, I, uh, I texted Brad, he texted me, so I think uh, McLaren got a text at like 7.47 that they were on their way to the hospital, 8.38, baby was here. So I'm hoping they made it to the room. So I don't know what happened in those 40 minutes or so, but I asked Brad for like name and stats for the baby, he's like, I can't give those to you yet, we got to give them to the grandparents first, so I tried, just so you know, just so you know. All right. 
So let's jump into Matthew. Uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to frame ourselves in the, the Lord's Prayer, but let me give you a little bit of bearing as to what we're doing this morning. Um, I'm just going to kind of lean into the room just for a second as a pastor. You know, there's one of the things, the more I do ministry and the more I serve here, the more I serve with the other pastors here at Crossway, um, the more I'm reminded that so much of the role that God has given us uh, as pastors is to practically come alongside God's people to help them walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so you see that all throughout the New Testament, this, this picture of like, here's what you should know about what Jesus has done, and here's therefore how you should walk. And so practically and functionally, at its base, you could say our call is to shepherd, and part of that shepherding is to guide and help the people of God to, to step into the life that God has called them to live. And there are, there are moments where as we pray about how, to, how that interacts with what we're preaching through, we make it our pattern to preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We'll begin to the book of Ruth in just a handful of weeks. And one of the things that's been on our heart over the last several weeks is just what does it look like to have kingdom relationships? And so we're going to do a series really hitting head on just some specific relational principles. And not because as a body at large, we see you know, fractures or negative effects. I think it's just observationally in smaller places, it's probably good to apply. There's some measure for all of us we need to grow in things like forgiveness and conflict resolution and dealing with bitterness and issues of con control and anxiety and relationships and what it means to be a peacemaker and how does pride and humility play into that. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to spend time looking at kingdom relationships. And so we're going to start that today. And today's message really is geared toward, as we talk about the word kingdom, it can be kind of a Christian buzzword. And so I want to orient us a little bit as we launch into some more topical weeks. What are we talking about when we're talking about kingdom? And what are we talking about when we're talking about kingdom relationships? And most specifically this morning is that what, is, what does it mean to be kingdom people? And we're going to lock in on the Lord's prayer for some semblance of an answer to that question. But before we read our text, um, when, I was, when I was a kid, uh, we had a number of years we lived in Canada. My dad was in the oil business working at refineries, and so we moved up. A lot of our time was spent in Calgary, Alberta. We lived in a place called Fort McMurray, which the only reason there are people there is because there's oil there. Like you, you wouldn't visit there normally unless you have some involvement in oil. But we, uh, what we did as a family, we were a big family, and we camped all the time. And so on the weekends, we'd pull into campsites and right outside of Calgary. And most of the time, as we pulled into our campsites, we'd see these claw marks on the trees. And you'd, you'd pull in and you'd be like, what are these claw marks for? And these claw marks were, were basically the, the bears marking their territory. Like they had been present. And so there's claw marks from either black or grizzly bears in the Calgary area in each campsite. And it was evidence that bears had been there, and we still camped there. I'm not quite sure what we were doing, but we just, it was just kind of part of what you did. It was like, I think bears have been here, all right? Maybe that means they're not going to come back. Maybe that was our train of thought. I'm not quite sure. We never got attacked, so I guess it all worked out. Um, but one of the things that we have to realize, like in the, the life of the Christian is that our lives are to, are to bear the marks, no pun intended, of the kingdom. So our, our lives have marks on them that reflect the presence of God within us. 
And that, in a sense, captures a little bit of what it means to be kingdom people. That we're people who have been marked by the presence of the king, changed by the nature of his character through the power of his spirit and the nature of his grace and the wonder of his word given to us. And so our relationships demonstrate the marks of the kingdom of God because our lives, our perspectives, and behavior have been radically changed by the king himself. The main idea I want to give you really for this whole series is this, is that God's power transforms us, so God's power transforms our relationships. So as we look at these various topical things over the next several weeks, what I want to do is just kind of give us some orientation around being kingdom people. So let's read Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read verses 9 through 13. This is God's word. Here's what it says to us. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I am going to primarily preach on verses 9 and 10. There's a whole series we could do out of this. I had a chance to be part of preaching a series through this um, for the the huddle for the Crossway Network over the summer. And I felt it could be helpful to start here. So the first two words that we get, Jesus says, pray like this. And so when you look at the Lord's Prayer, what we've come to know is the Lord's Prayer, um, it's, it's no less than a pattern for prayer. So you could adopt this as a pattern for prayer and be well served by it. But it's so much more than that. It really is a reflection of the heart of God for the pattern of our lives, not just a pattern of prayer. Like this is what our lives are to be, live like, that bear the marks of the transformation that God has brought about in us. In the first part, D.A. Carson said it this way, there's no instance before Jesus where God is referred to as our Father. There's no other place in the Bible. I mean, you might be able to draw out God being referred to as the Father over the nation of Israel, but nowhere before Jesus do you find an indication or proclamation that God is our Father. And this is kind of a community found everywhere in the Bible, and you find it in this pronoun, our father. God is a father to the fatherless. He's a father to those that he has drawn and saved by his grace and pulled into this family that we call the church. Our reminds us we're part of a family. We're all a bunch of misfit kids who've been adopted into this peculiar and beautiful family called the local church. And you're part of that if you trusted in Christ. And we all have a seat at the table with our father. A friend of mine, Ben Sandsburn, who's a pastor of a Crossway Church in Tacoma, Washington, he was preaching on these two words, our father. And he said, there's two things that come to mind when you think about our father. I'm just going to briefly comment on these. And one is authenticity and one is access. So when you think about having God as your father, this is so profound. It's profound for so many reasons. Not the least of the fact is that we get to have a personal relationship with the God who made us, the God who spoke everything into existence out of nothing. We get to call Father. But there's an authenticity that God allows us to have. Just like if you have kids or you've worked with kids, 
Kids have a remarkable way of being authentic unto their detriment often because they don't have much of a filter, right? But you get to come to God as your father, broken as you are, not having to pretend that you're somewhere that you're not because ultimately he knows where you are and his desire is relationship with you, much like you desire relationship with your kids if you're a parent. But there's a deep authenticity that we can have and where our real brokenness is overcome by real grace. That's good news for us, right? Real brokenness that we have met by the real grace of God coming from a good father to his children. There's authenticity and there's also access. Dawson Trotman, who founded the Navigators Ministry, said it this way. He says, at the word father, we are immediately in the throne room. I've been affected by that since I heard that statement over the summer from my friend Ben. Every time I mention our father or my father, personally, when I'm praying, I'm reminded like immediately I'm in the throne room of God. And if you know anything about the Old Testament and the separation that existed between God and men, even though he existed in the presence of his people, there was separation that was so clear, so vibrant, that to come into his presence fully and and be accepted is just beyond comprehension. But we're reminded and encouraged by the fact that he loves us. He has our best in mind. So we say our Father. And just in case you were tempted to get chummy and casual with God and put on our Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt right after hearing that, Jesus orients us to like, hey, just be reminded his name is special. Hallowed be your name. Now, this isn't just like an acknowledgement that God, God's name is hallowed. It's actually more like a petition. And like in the original language in the Greek, it would read something like this. Hallowed be the name of you. Come the kingdom of you. And done be the will of you. So our lives are oriented around God. And we know that his name is sacred and supreme and holy and completely different than we are other than us. He's holy. His name is hallowed. We want it to be hallowed. And really that's the posture of a kingdom person is let your name be hallowed in me. Hallowed be your name in me and the way that I live and the way that I approach my relationships, the way that I speak and work, etc. right? Not a mere acknowledgement, but a petition. So I pray that that would be our heart this morning. Let me just make some observations about God's kingdom as we continue on. That God's kingdom is the place of his rule and dominion. Maybe one of the most general descriptions, but helpful ones. When we think about kingdom, like what is God's kingdom? What's well, the place where he's the king? It's the place of his rule and dominion. So in a very general sense, he's always been the king. And so he's always had a kingdom over everything. You see this in Psalm 103.19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom or his sovereignty rules over all. He has always been king over everything. But in a more specific way, God is a king over a spiritual kingdom. You could say a spiritual people that's already in place spiritually, but not yet fully finalized and realized, which will be the condition of the new heavens and new earth where his kingdom is permanently established among men. As the king, God is a spiritual kingdom, and that kingdom is filled with people. It's filled with subjects. Colossians 1, 13, 14. Look at this language. It says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God's people, the church, if you're a Christian in this room, the biblical picture of you is that you once were in a hellish kingdom, had its own domain, ruled by what the Bible says is the prince of the power of the air, a lowercase kingdom with a lowercase k king. But you've been moved from one to another. Like you've been transferred from that domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son, the Lord Jesus, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness. As I was preparing and praying, I want to pause here just for a minute because I want it to be abundantly clear. I'm not going to assume everybody in this room understands the good news of the gospel. You may come in here this morning just really rattled because you don't quite understand what it means to be a part of the family of God or forgiven completely. As we look at those two brief words, redemption and forgiveness, we understand biblically that in Jesus Christ, you can be set free from your slavery to sin. That's redemption. And you can find pardon from your guilt. Jesus' death on the cross was the means of both for you to be purchased back from captivity to sin. He paid a ransom for you that you could be free. At the same time, his death was a payment for your guilt so that God could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So if you're wrestling with your position before God today, let it be clear to you as you walk out this morning, you can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. In him only is redemption purchased back from slavery to sin and forgiveness, freedom from guilt and condemnation because of sin. Run to him today. Find in him the answer to your soul's deepest longings and the only way to be reconciled to God. And if God's kingdom is the place of his rule and dominion, then here's where it comes to bear on us. Then kingdom people are people under God's rule and dominion. And we don't like the the terms rule and dominion. Like we love personal autonomy and we love being our own boss And even after the miracle of regeneration, there's still a twinge of resistance or hesitation that we feel at the notion of being subjects. It feels like more of a loss than a gain to us. But the truth is, apart from coming under the rule of Jesus Christ as your king, any supposed freedom is only a mask of your slavery. So find freedom in him. Find freedom in his rule. Become his subject and find life under his dominion. It's the only place where you'll find life and flourishing. You and I were under the domain of darkness until, by the grace of God, we find ourselves in the light, having trusted in Jesus. Now, we can drive around town, and often you'll see signs that say, under new management. And I don't know about you, when you see those signs, the first thing that comes into my mind is like, something bad happened there. And this sign is trying to prove to everybody who goes by, there's something better here now. I don't know what their motive is. To me, that's my translation. Something bad happened, come back because it's better now. When we think about spiritually speaking, there's a way in which we can, we can look at the, the transfer from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son in that same way. Not as flippant, but to realize that the rule of Christ is a better rule 
than the rule of the prince of the power of the air. The one who leads you to drink out of places where water will leave you only thirsty again. And instead you get to exchange that from the one who gives water that wells up into eternal life, tells you that he'll always satisfy and never leave you thirsty through his word and through his work, his life, his breath given to us. And John 1.12 says, To all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right. That's the same word that we see in Colossians 1 is the word domain. To all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the domain, the freedom, the power to become children of God. In Christ, we've been transferred to a new domain. We're under the power of a better ruler. And we're given the unimaginable privilege of being the child of the king, our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And because God's name is hallowed, he is holy. Like he is special and different and set apart and sacred. Because God's name is holy, God's kingdom is a holy place filled with holy people. That will be the final condition that we see in heaven. It's a holy place occupied by a holy God filled with holy people where the chorus of the angels and all the people is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. So God's people, kingdom people are different. Kingdom people are holy people. Kingdom people operate by the rules of heaven, which in many ways are upside down from the ways of earth. And family, this is so much of what I want to try to communicate today and through this series, is that we have to fight to be different in the way that we deal with relationships, the way that we approach forgiveness, the way we think about bitterness, the way we wield or let go of control, the way we deal with anxiety and worry in the context of relationships. God has given us the ability and the power and the calling to be different. But you could say God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom where God's people, kingdom people, are called and empowered to live on earth from the perspective of heaven. So the Beatitudes, if you look to the left in the book of Matthew, and we'll largely be in Matthew 5 through 7 in this series. If you've read the Beatitudes, you know what I'm talking about, why these are so upside-down. But the word Beatitude comes from the Latin word happiness or bliss, In the kingdom of God and as kingdom people, your happiness comes from what you could say are upside-down places. Unlikely choices is where your blessing is found. That's where we read, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You wouldn't, there's no one on earth apart from the grace of God and the word of God who would say that those are blessed and happy who are poor in spirit but the kingdom doesn't operate by the rules of earth, nor do kingdom people. Blessing is found in forgiving and not in holding a grudge. Blessing is found, satisfaction is found in thirsting and hungering for righteousness and not drinking from the fraudulent springs of culture. Blessing isn't found in doing all we can to avoid being alienated because of our faith, but instead being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because in being so, we'll be considered children of God. The blessing of seeing God doesn't fall to the ones with special knowledge or to the ones who work 
hard enough, or the ones with the highest level of book smarts, the blessing of seeing God, you know who it falls to in the kingdom? The pure in heart. It's upside down from what the world says and thinks and pursues. It's the meek who inherit the earth, not the strong, not the confident, not those with the best strategy, but those who get low will be exalted in the kingdom of heaven. It's an upside down kingdom and we are upside down people and some of like the wrestle that we have practically if you just bring it all the way down to our relationships the reason so many times that we experience pain in our relationships is we miss this part is we expect the blessing to be found in the places that the world tells us it's going to be found Chris and I were looking at a saying like he even mentioned it in our meeting like time heals all wounds does it really is that, is that how the kingdom works? So you just wait long enough and that's what provides healing and restoration? That's not what I see. You certainly don't see it in Matthew 5 through 7. The world wants to tell you, hey, don't, don't forgive that person. It's the only leverage you got in that relationship. Is that what the kingdom says? And so some, some of my point in saying this is like, like we have to be jostled and the inner workings of our relationships to realize like we have to be convinced that blessing is found in unlikely decisions and upside down places from what the world says and thinks. And by the grace of God, by the spirit of God, work to move to those places that feel unnatural to our flesh. And Jesus said it this way in many moments, particularly in Matthew chapter five, you have heard it said this way, but I say to you. And it's all over Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus interrupts the counsel of the world and rattles it with the knowledge of heaven. But I would submit the proposition and that statement is still the same for us. You have heard it said, but I say to you. You have acted this way, but I'm telling you. And oftentimes we're just not willing to make that switch because it feels too costly or it feels too uncomfortable to, to let go of resentment because it feels like it doesn't allow people to be held accountable for their actions, but it might surprise us to realize that forgiveness is firstly an act between you and God before it's anything, and we'll get into that. But the kingdom is an upside-down place. Kingdom people are different because of that, because we live out the priorities of heaven here on earth. Kingdom people walk in repentance and power. When Jesus came in the flesh, the heavenly rule and reign of God and the power associated with his kingdom broke into time and space. There's a way in which you could say, when Jesus was around, that's where the kingdom was. When Jesus was there, the kingdom was present. And that's what he preached. That's what John the Baptist preached as well. They declared that the kingdom was near or at hand or upon you. Matthew 3.1, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Matthew 4.17 says from that time, after Jesus' temptation, after going into Capernaum, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let me just talk for a second about Repentance. Now, you may have had the experience, like whether it's at home or in a business with your boss, like when someone in a place of authority walks in the room, you, you usually, if you're street smart enough, you tend to straighten up. You tend to, like if you're, if you're messing around, you tend to 
get the wheels back on the bus and focus on your computer. If you're looking at the bracket for your NCAA tournament, you usually turn that off and like try to get back to your memo or whatever you should be writing, right? So authority walks in the room and immediately brings gravity to the situation. There's a little bit of that in this. Is where God comes near with his kingdom, it confronts us with our need to change. Because holiness, in many ways, is very uncomfortable. I would even argue in human experience, anytime there's a presence of holiness, whether it be through angels, the voice of God, it seems one of the dominant experiences of people is discomfort. And I think it's right. Because left to ourselves, we're not holy. And repentance is this turning from, okay, I was doing this. God, you deserve this. You call me to this. Let me turn from this self-rule and rebellion, holding on to unforgiveness, whatever it may be, and let me turn to you. That's repentance. It's turning away from self-rule to the rule of God, being under this, the rule and dominion of his power. And it's God's kindness that leads us to a place of repentance. And I would say this, and you see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, there's, there's evidence of repentance. It's not merely just an acknowledgement that something was wrong. That's more like confession. And you can have an acknowledgement of sin without a brokenness over sin. But you see things, in 2 Corinthians 7, just to summarize, you see things like zeal and indignation over sin, a, a desire to clear yourself of all wrongdoing and eagerness and those type of things, things that are demonstrated in the context largely of relationships. And do we walk in repentance in that way? Do we walk with a deep sense of brokenness over sin, knowing the grace of God that empowers us to go and live differently? Repentance and power are associated with this kingdom. Kingdom people walk in repentance and power. Maybe some of you this morning, if I could just give you a word of hope, is when God walks in the room, everything changes. Like when he, when he walks into our perspective, our paradigm for even the most hopeless situations, there's always room for hope. Always. And if we lose sight of that, whatever the percentages may be, if you lose every ounce of hope, then you've lost sight of who God is because you have reason to be hopeful because God can do anything. And when we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, it's, we're praying that the realities of heaven would push down into earth to make their impact in our lives and our situations. And I want you to think of maybe the impossible situations and people in your life. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about forgiveness and conflict resolution and anger and control and fear. And all of us probably to some degree have some relationships or situations where we might be able to apply some of those words. And do we believe that God is able like, to change us, to bring life into places where we only see death, to bring about change that's seemingly never been possible before? So praying for God's kingdom to come, among other things, is an act of confident desperation. Desperation because without God there's no hope, but confident because with God all things are possible. And one thing I've seen in my life, I've seen it recently, is that darkness and sin are really disorienting. 
When you're dealing with sin in your life and in relationships, it can, it can f- make you feel like you don't know which way is up. You don't know what to grab onto. And what can happen is you begin to just kind of be resolved that you just buy in time until you go be with the Lord. You just become resolute in the fact it's just always going to be this way. And even sin can become like a, a thorn in the flesh, misapplied, by the way, that you're just destined to, to deal with. But instead, God speaks a, a better word. He challenges us, commands us to pray that the same type of rule that he has in heaven would be pushed down into earth. The same type of power that's displayed in heaven. If you can just try to imagine the unrivaled kingship of God in heaven, there's no, there's no one and nothing that stands against God and his rule and his reign now. Certainly in heaven, we'll know that to be sure, true for sure. There's no rivals there. He doesn't even need the sun because his glory is enough to fill the whole place. And God says, I want you to pray that my kingdom comes now. Like that type of forceful, gracious, and good rule pushes down into your life, your situations from heaven into earth. And that my will would be done here just like it is in heaven. It's not passive but prayerful. So Jesus tells us to pray to the Father, hallow your name, bring your kingdom, accomplish your will in my life, in my relationships, in the same way those things are done in heaven. Are you willing to pray for that type of supernatural change and power? Like, do we find ourselves just more resolved just to kind of grin and bear it in relationships and in life, just hopeless? I'm not trying to make light of your situations. I'm trying to orient you around the way that Jesus says, pray this way and live this way. Expect when you pray that I'm going to be at work. I'm going to work on your behalf and I can work on your behalf. The things that are hopeless can be filled with hope and with change. And do we pray in in our own lives with a pervasive, like, Lord, leave no stone unturned in my life. Like if it's true that I can come to you with authenticity, then there's really no pretending in its truest sense. I can't pretend to be somewhere that I'm not. And if I could just speak straightly to you for a second, there's no fruit in your life if you pretend in some category of your life to be somewhere you're not that will only lead to disaster in your life. God knows and it is unimaginable grace shared this from up here before and I'll share it with joy in my heart again. Like the miracle of, one of the miracles of being a Christian and knowing the grace of God through Jesus is that you can be exposed in the deepest corners of who you are, as painful as it might be. But that exposure when it's done by the light of Christ is the very same moment that you find healing, that you will find in no other place, certainly not in hiding. But are we willing to have the kingdom of God pushed down that deeply in our lives that there's no corner of us that's unaffected by it? Because that really is the nature of the kingdom. That God's will and his rule and his reign is unrivaled in us, in our relationships, and as kingdom people, a part of that is we joyfully submit to his will instead of our will.
As kingdom people, we live with open hands to the will of God. And you may think of situations in the coming weeks where you need to relinquish your tight hold on your will to give yourself over to the will of God. The pride of my will is replaced by the humility of if you will or as you will. And you probably know the example that's probably most clear in Scripture that demonstrates this. The only man who ever lived completely, totally submitted to the will of the Father, and that was the Son. And the hour of his greatest sorrow and deepest pain, you see this prayer unfold in his life, in his perspective, in his own prayer to the Father. Matthew 26, verse 39, it says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup, the cup of the cross, this wrath I'm about to drink for the purchase of your people, if there's some other way for this to be done, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It's comforting to know in just some supernatural way. Jesus preaches to us. He gives us a model for prayer and a model for life that he himself lived in, in the moment of his greatest need and pain. Having been rescued by Jesus, we increasingly look like him in this prayer and in this posture. So our prayer, and I'll close with this, becomes, Father, let your kingdom be what possesses, motivates, captivates, and satisfies me, even when I find it to be upside down and rattling to my senses and my patterns. Lord, help me to be captivated and satisfied by your kingdom. In the same way your name is hallowed in heaven, the same way your rule and reign is present in heaven, the same way your will is done in heaven, let it be done in me. And church family, as we think about our role here in this world, as long as we have breath, is to make Jesus Christ known, is to make him known, to spread the good news of the kingdom of God, that misfits can become children in the family of God and invite as many people as we can. But part of that work, part of that mission is to be a people who live now in a peculiar way as subjects of a kingdom that people can't see. Well, the upside down nature of the kingdom is enough to draw them in to say like, hey, I noticed you did this and this doesn't make any, I don't have a category for this. That's right, it's due to the upside down kingdom. I have different vision than you do. Let me introduce you to the one that gave it to me. But we have to fight by the grace of God for our lives to be congruent with what we're preaching, what we say we believe, so that, this is what I'll close with in Matthew chapter five, that we can be the salt of the earth and we can be the light to the world. We can be salt to those who are tasteless and light to those even this moment who are in darkness. And that's my prayer for us as we navigate through this series. Let me pray. God, you are worth, you're worth our moments of discomfort. Um, you are worth the decisions that we have even yet to make that put us in alignment with your word and with your will. The decisions that are uncomfortable maybe upside down from our patterns, upside down from what culture says. God, you're worth, you're worth it all. Jesus, you promised us that we find our life when we lose it. 
for your sake and for the gospel. And so I pray that as individual followers of Jesus Christ, that we be men and women who day by day are so deeply comforted by the fact that we get to be your children by a miracle of grace, not because of our performance. That you are our Father because you have crucified your own Son that having believed in him, we might become sons and daughters. Comfort us through the grace of being a part of your family. But would you please, God, would you hallow your name in us? Esteem your name in us. Let your kingdom come in us and your will be done through us. And we would be overjoyed to say, because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forevermore. Fill us with an earnest desire to want to please you with our lives. Give us the grace to do just that. And I pray that where your people are discouraged, I know that many are facing situations that from a human standpoint feel impossible. And particularly in those relationships that feel broken beyond repair. God, I pray that you'd speak a better word than hopelessness through the power and the resurrection of Christ in us, in them, that they'd be allowed to, or just empowered to walk in newness of life and that you'd infuse hopeless places with a glimmer of hope and light And I pray that you'd set our hands on your promises as those that are firm and trustworthy when everything else seems to swirl around us that we can lay a hold of your word and your promises. You are good. You're greatly to be praised. And I'm so thankful that through the life and the work of Jesus and his resurrection that our greatest problem has been solved and death has lost its sting It's been overcome by the victory of Jesus. And so we sing this last song, God, to be reminded that in our life and in our death, Christ is our only hope. He's our only boast and confidence. When we have him, we have enough. Fill us with that truth and with that hope now as we sing. Would you be glorified through our voices lifting up this praise? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand.